Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach. I pastor a church just outside of Athens, Georgia called Calvary 316. We're located on Highway 316. If you're listening and you're local, I'd love to invite you to come check out the church. You can visit us online at calvary316.tv.com.net.org. We own them all. The Lord has blessed us in that regards. Come check us out. Our Sunday service is at 1030. The Outlaw Radio Show, we are in the Christmas season, and we're kind of having a series of episodes where we're talking about uh, Christmas. You know, in many ways, whether by intention or (laughs) maybe even by accident, have you ever noticed that the Christmas traditions, like Christmas traditions, has become characterized mostly by its unapologetic desire to claim what is honestly the impossible as as being true. Like, have you ever noticed that? Like, so many things about Christmas traditions are impossible. And yet, the magic of Christmas is that we believe them. Or at least we're supposed to, right? Like Santa Claus. A diabetic fat man with an an appetite for milk and cookies who we're told lives with his wife, right? Mrs. Claus year round at the North pole. Like that's an impossible claim. Like there's no, there's no way that's true. Uh, You know, the average winter temperature at the North pole ranges between negative 45 and negative 15 degrees. Very difficult for a diabetic fat man to live in the North pole year round. Here's another impossible, an impossible claim that one elven workshop manufactures toys for the world's children being also buried beneath the frozen tundra. That that's an impossible claim. Like everyone knows that elves don't live in the North pole. Elves live in the middle earth outpost known as Rivendell. (laughs) Yes, that was a Lord of the Rings joke. Just go with me. Just go with me. St. Nicholas possessing omniscient knowledge of who's naughty and nice and then custom tailoring rewards based upon this particular judgment, that is an impossible claim. Like, don't you know that only Google has omniscient knowledge of who's naughty and nice? That was also a, a tech joke for the tech audience. One man, here's another, one man flawlessly distributing gifts in one night for the world's 7 billion residents. That's an impossible to claim. Presented in the Christmas story as fact. Like the best you're going to find is Amazon Prime. And until they're able to get those drone things happening, there's no way you're giving all the gifts in a one-day delivery. Reindeer flying or possessing red translucent noses that can illuminate the night sky is also an impossible claim. Like... Like, there's no way that that's possible, yet we present it as being such. Mistletoe. And I know this one by by personal experience. Like, mistletoe providing, like, a supernatural force field by which a woman will surrender willpower and magically be compelled to kiss a man, regardless of looks or breath. That is an impossible claim. Like, if mistletoe really had this effect, it would be the hottest new drug among middle school boys and 40-year-old single men. Like, I could go on and on, right? Like, Christmas (laughs) Christmas is packed full of impossible claims that we are to accept blindly as being true. 
But if we're honest, like the one claim associated with the Christmas season that takes the cake, maybe even all over all the ones I just mentioned, is the notion that little over 2,000 years ago, there was a virgin teenager by the name of Mary who supernaturally conceived, though she was a virgin, and had the Son of God. Like, from a surface level, that seems impossible, right? Like, I mean, when was the last time you can recall a woman becoming pregnant without knowing a man? Or, you know, at least becoming intimately involved with a test tube. It's impossible! It's impossible! That's how the world sees it! And yet, as impossible a claim as the virgin birth of Jesus might appear to be, Christians, we not only believe that the impossible became a reality, but the truth is that we've established our entire faith. We founded our faith on the virgin birth, the incarnation. Like you might say that that, that Christians have bet the house on the impossible claim that Mary, a virgin, conceived and bore Jesus, who was the Son of God, died for the sins of... Like, we've based the house on that being an actual historical event. Like, don't misunderstand me. If, If the virgin birth did not happen, and therefore Jesus... This historical man, Jesus, was a man absolutely no different than you or I. Then you can go ahead, you can call the fight, you can close up shop, you can move on to something else. If Jesus was not born in this supernatural sense, then he had a sin nature, meaning that his sacrifice on the cross means nothing. Like one author said it very well. He wrote, without the incarnation, Christianity isn't even a very good story. And most sadly, it means nothing. Today, with the, with this episode, being the Christmas season, like I, I want to take our time and I want to examine the biblical claim of the virgin birth. Like, like, how does the Bible really make such an outlandish claim? And as Christians, is there is there evidence to back it up? See, we're going to analyze the claim itself. And then with our time, I want to build a case for the historical validity of the virgin birth. And then I want to wrap things up by discussing the significance of the virgin birth and what what that has, the implications that has for all of us. Like, don't, don't misunderstand. The Bible is crystal clear. There's no way around it. The Bible clearly states that Jesus was born of a virgin. Like, like let me let me read you let me read you the story. I'm, I'm gonna pull from a few passages of Scripture: Luke one, Matthew one. We'll, we'll even reference Isaiah seven. But this is the story. This is what the Bible says. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. 
But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then if you go to Matthew 1, now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah 7, verse 14, that behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. It is, it is undeniable, friend from a literal, simplified reading of the historical text provided by Luke and Matthew, referencing back to Isaiah 7, what is being communicated. First, though betrothed to be married to Joseph, the Bible is clear that Mary was a virgin. Proof number one is provided by both authors' description of Mary. Within both records, you'll note on three separate occasions in the biblical narrative, Mary is described specifically as being a virgin. Both authors, Luke and Matthew, want to communicate to their readers the idea that Mary, before conceiving Jesus, had had zero sexual interactions with Joseph or anyone else at that point in her life. Proof number two, is provided by Mary's own confirmation of her virginity. Going back to the text, in response to the news that she would become pregnant, what does she say? She confirms her innocence by asking the angel, how in the world can that be since what? Since I've never known a man. The second thing that the Bible makes makes no bones about is that Mary's pregnancy would be of a supernatural origin. First, she's a virgin. Her pregnancy would be supernatural. Luke's account, says that the angel told her the Holy Spirit would come upon you and the power of of the highest will overshadow you. In Matthew's account, the angel tells Joseph, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't know the specifics on how any of this this happened. And yet the passage tells us that God supernaturally fertilized an egg within Mary to form a living embryo. Human DNA was fused together with the divine DNA, producing a unique genetic code. But there's a third thing. Mary was a virgin. The pregnancy would be supernatural. And her son, to be named Jesus, would be God. Luke says that her son will be called son of the highest. 
He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Therefore, that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then Matthew says that her son will save his people from their sins, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Though our text leaves little doubt, there are those who try to dismiss the divinity of Jesus by, by making the claim that the Bible never actually stated that Mary was a virgin. And to do this, these skeptics point out a discrepancy in Matthew's quote of Isaiah 7. That when, when, when Isaiah said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, he uses the Hebrew word Alma, which is translated into English as virgin. But these critics claim that the word Alma should instead be translated as simply young maiden, indicating that Mary was a young woman and not necessarily a virgin. They claim that if if Isaiah had intended to describe a virgin, he would have used a different Hebrew word entirely. But sadly, these naysayers overlook a few key details. First, though Alma can be translated young maiden, it's... It's difficult to claim Alma refers to anyone that actually isn't a virgin. Like, ironically, not once will you find Alma used in the Bible to describe a married woman. The cultural assumption in using this word was that all young maidens were also virgins. Two, these critics overlook the reality that several Old Testament texts actually use Alma to refer to a virgin. Genesis 24, Exodus 2, Psalm 68, Proverbs 30. Third, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's known as the Septuagint, translates Alma in Isaiah 7 using the word parthnios, which in the Greek can only actually mean virgin. The Jewish translators, years before the advent, believed that Isaiah was predicting the virgin birth of the Messiah. Fourth, when Luke, who was writing in Greek, twice describes Mary as a virgin, he uses that identical word. Like, There's no debate surrounding the meaning of the Greek word parthenos, meaning that that Luke saw Mary as a physician, as a virgin. You see, asserting that the Bible does not present the virgin birth of Christ as a literal historical event is, is ignorant, dishonest. It's disingenuous to the text. Though you can doubt the biblical claim of a virgin conceiving you cannot doubt the bible makes the claim a virgin indeed conceived make no bones about it the text is clear mary was a virgin betrothed to joseph whose pregnancy was a supernatural origin meaning her son jesus would be both god and man don't go anywhere we'll continue that thought in just a minute One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. Merry Christmas. Uh, On behalf of me and Jessica and our boys, Quincy and Theodore, 
We hope you're enjoying the season. Today I'm talking about the virgin birth and the importance of it. Like make no qualms. The Bible is clear, crystal clear, that the virgin birth took place. It makes the claim that Mary was a virgin, that her conception was supernatural, and that her son was divine. The other thing you should keep in mind when examining the the virgin birth is that the New Testament doctrines support that. As a matter of fact, New Testament doctrine, our theology, finds the virgin birth of Jesus to be essential. Historically, the virgin birth of Jesus is known as the incarnation. It's kind of an interesting word, right? Do you like carne asada? It, it, It actually plays. You see, the word incarnation literally means to become flesh. See, the Bible presents the idea that that Jesus, who is the second person of the triune God, became flesh. He donned flesh, human flesh, by being conceived in the womb of a woman, specifically the Virgin Mary. Doctrinally, the Bible teaches that the incarnation occurred When in the person of Jesus, the human nature of man, imparted through the genetics of his mother Mary, was added to the divine nature of God, produced from this overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Doctrinally, we call this the hypostatic union. That through the incarnation, Jesus, the person of Jesus, was not just 100% God, but he was 100% man. Though the Gospels record the event of the incarnation, you should note that the remainder of the New Testament writers build off of that event to establish core theological doctrine by stating the incarnation, God becoming man as the only way in which God could save mankind from sin, the New Testament authors substantiate the biblical claim of the virgin birth as being essential Christian doctrine. Jesus had to have been born sinless to have been made sin for us. In John chapter 1, we're told, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on, John writes, And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, speaking of Jesus. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes this. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Who being in the form of God, that word form literally meaning like uh, the, 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 the highest external manifestation of that appearance. Like Jesus was, God had a form and that form was Jesus. Being in the form of God, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance. Jesus added humanity to his divinity. He didn't let go of any of his divine attribute. You see, in, in analyzing the biblical claim of the virgin birth, like we, we learn two important things. 
first, the Bible clearly states that Jesus was born of a virgin. But secondly, New Testament doctrine completely builds upon that claim. <laughs> Let me just take a minute with that in mind and just and just build the case for the historical validity of the virgin birth. Like note when trying to validate the veracity of a historical event, whether it be the, the virgin birth of Jesus or, for that matter, the conquest of Alexander the Great. Historians always ask two key questions. First, are there any ancient manuscripts documenting the claim, the historical claim? Like, for that matter, recorded eyewitness testimony from the people who either witnessed or were directly involved with the event itself is kind of the gold standard when pursuing ancient documents, manuscripts. Secondly, they ask this question. How quickly was the event accepted by society as factual history? Like the more time that transpired between the event and its, accepted, its acceptance as factual history, the more likely it is for legend to distort the veracity of the event. <laughs> With that in mind, in regards to the historical validity of the virgin birth, the amount of reliable ancient manuscripts documenting the documenting this claim as factual history it's it's absolutely astounding for example both matthew and luke were educated and they were meticulous historians who wrote their biographies of jesus's life for the purposes of withstanding the scrutiny of the of a court of law like matthew's gospel and luke's gospel met the gold standard by by only recording events they could validate only using substantiating eyewitness testimony. The virgin birth is no exception. You see, to deny the virgin birth as a fact of history would be to deny solid history. Norman Geisler, if you've never read any of Norman Geisler's stuff, you should, you should go to Amazon, enter his name, and just start reading. Brilliant man. But he put it this way, quote, there are more eyewitness contemporary records of the virgin birth than for most events in the ancient world. Thus, there is no reason to believe Jesus was not literally born of a virgin just as the Bible claims he was. In other words, if you question the historical nature of the virgin birth, you might as well question every other claim presented in ancient history. But also, in regards to the historical uh, validity of the virgin birth, don't overlook the significance of the reality that beginning with the first generation of Christians, the church has universally accepted that event, the virgin birth, the incarnation, as historical fact. The Apostles' Creed, which was thought as many to be a summary of the Apostles' teaching, stated that Jesus was, quote, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The Nicene Creed, written in 325 AD, stated, quote, By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. The Westminster Confession, written in 1647, stated that Jesus was, quote, conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Since our account of the virgin birth was provided by contemporaries of the event itself, there was no time for legend or oral tradition to distort the record. 
you know, let me also note that though the church has universally accepted the incarnation of Christ to be core doctrine, throughout the centuries there have been liberal factions who have attempted to deny the virgin birth and minimize its importance. You know, some some have rejected the incarnation really because they, they reject all of the supernatural. Like there have always been elements within Christianity who have attempted to merge Christianity with naturalism, trying to rid Bible of supernatural claims. In order to make scripture more friendly to the scientific mind, liberal scholars attempt to rationalize the miraculous by proposing natural explanations. It's, it was, it's what's contributed to the Isaiah 7 controversy. The idea that, that Mary really wasn't a virgin, it's insanity. Like, please understand that the heretical attempt to remove miracles from the Bible has never been popular in Christianity. It's, it's, never, it's never gained traction because it's indefensible. Simply stated, if a theistic God exists, the miracles are automatically possible. If there is a supernatural God who can act, then it is completely logical and rational to conclude there can be supernatural acts of God. But it should also be pointed out that some reject the Incarnation because they reject the infallibility of Scripture. Since it's difficult to deny the Bible's affirmation of the virgin birth, there are some who try to circumvent the the issue by attacking the Bible. They theorize that the Gospels were not written in the first century. They came much later. They believe uh, that, that the idea of the Incarnation was added to the text, adding more to the mystique, the legend of Jesus, making him more appealing to Greek and Roman cults who already accepted the concept of a virgin birth in popular mythology. Although these type of heresies have reared their ugly heads at various points in church history, they should go back to the pits of hell where they originated. You know, most recently, a guy by the name of Rob Bell, heretic, in his book Velvet Elvis, he calls into question the virgin birth of Christ implying that the Incarnation is not really all that important to the doctrines of Christianity. He, he writes, What if tomorrow someone digs up a d- definitive proof that Jesus was had a real earthly biological father named Larry, and archaeologists find Larry's tomb and do DNA samples? Without a shadow of a doubt, the virgin birth was really just a bit of mytho- mythologizing the gospel writers threw in. What if you study the origin of the word virgin? You discover that the word virgin actually comes from this other thing, blah, 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 blah. He says, could you still love God? Could you still be a Christian? Is the way of Jesus still the best possible way to live? Or does the whole thing apart? And to Rob Bell, the whole thing falls apart. You know, when we come back, because I'm running up against a hard break, I've already addressed the Isaiah 7 controversy. There's no way around the fact that Isaiah prophesied that a virgin would conceive. But I do want to take just a few minutes and I I want to address the notion of, of mythology changing the narrative. And we'll do that when we come back in just a minute here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Thanks, Pastor Zach. You've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. We encourage you to stick with us. Check out part two of today's special message about the virgin birth of Jesus. Was he born of a virgin or wasn't he? The Bible teaches that he was. We'll find out more in part two.
Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Today, Pastor Zach is talking about the virgin birth of Jesus. Now, here's Zach. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. Uh, we're talking about Christmas. Specifically, we're talking about the virgin birth of Jesus. And, and the intention of this episode was not to get too uh, too heady, too theological, too... Uh, uh, apologetic driven and yet it, during this particular season lots of impossible claims are made about around Christmas from Santa Claus to Rudolph to mistletoe and the virgin birth seems to get kind of lumped in and there are critics that try to attack not just uh, whether or not it happened but they seek to to attack why it's even important and to those two points let me first just address the notion of mythology driving the narrative. Basically, the argument being that the Gospels were written not in the first century, but much later, and that this element of the virgin birth of Jesus uh, was added in to Jesus' lore to make the Gospel more appealing to a Greek and Roman audience who had already accepted basic concepts of this in their own mythology. And there are really four quick points that I want to make to combat this notion of mythology. First, today, the second century dating theories of the Gospels have been thoroughly discredited by archaeological and manuscript evidence. The New Testament, we know, was written by contemporaries. The actual eyewitnesses to the events themselves. Like there's there was no time between the event in the, in, the, in the documentation for legend to develop. Two, because the persons, places, and the events of Christ's birth are so precise and historically substantiated, actual people and places and things, they do not show any of the standard literary marks of the mythological genre. Like if the incarnation was patterned off of traditional mythology, some have said that, that you could say that the Gospels, it was really a poor attempt of it. From a literary standpoint, it, they, it doesn't fit the same patterns. Thirdly, since the Greeks and Romans were polytheistic, no mythology even remotely corresponds to the literal incarnation as a monotheistic God in human form by way of the virgin birth. Like The point is that, that there simply exists no precedent for making such a correlation. And finally, the stories of Greek and Roman gods becoming human via miraculous events like the virgin birth, <laughs> they actually post-date the time of Christ. One author wrote, if there is any influence, it is from Christianity on mythology, not the reverse. In this specific case, by the way, of a guy like Rob Bell, a heretic, and his notion that the incarnation has little effect on Christianity, let me just quote what G. Campbell Morgan wrote. He said, if Christ is only man, then I am an idolater. If he is very God, then the man who denies is a blasphemer. There can be no union between those who hold his deity and those who deny it. Now, in regards to the case for the historical validity of the virgin birth, the church has not only universally accepted the incarnation as historical fact, but the amount of ancient manuscripts documenting this claim makes the verifiable history overwhelming. Like, the conclusion 
is that the virgin birth happened. But I want to take the, the remaining time to discuss why that's significant. You see, the incarnation of Jesus is significant to every Christian and to all humanity for really two fundamental reasons. One, the incarnation establishes Jesus as being the Son of God. We go back to the text. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Like it's Jesus is God who became flesh and dwelt among us. But the incarnation of Jesus is, is it's also important because it provides humanity the perfect sacrifice for atonement. Without Jesus being sinless and coming in the form of a man, we would have no sacrifice for the sin of the world. There would be no way to provide atonement. No, back to the original statements. Mary shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for, which lays out his purpose, he will save his people from their sins. Please understand, if Jesus had not been born of a virgin, and was instead born the bastard child of some unknown man that Mary successfully concealed from everyone, including Joseph, then we would be able to say with absolute certainty that Jesus' claim to be God was then bogus and his promise to save humanity from their sins tragically inaccurate. Jesus could have still been a great moral teacher, but without the incarnation, he would have just been a normal man, unable to even save himself from sin. However, if the incarnation is true, It establishes the life of Jesus as being the supernatural intervention of God coming to earth to save you and I from our sin. Since Adam sinned against God in the garden, thereby falling short of God's perfect standard, mankind has only really been left of one of two options to remedy sin. One, atone for sin himself, which requires an eternity in hell. Or two, provide a sacrificial substitute to atone for sin on his behalf. (laughs) The limitations of both are glaring. Because of man's continual sin nature, a sacrificial substitute offered to atone for sin could only provide man temporary reprieve, never a permanent solution. And then since an imperfect man would have to spend eternity paying off a perfect debt, permanent atonement would always have been unattainable. Like logically, only a perfect man can satisfy a perfect debt. Only a sinless man could permanently atone for man's sin as a sacrificial substitute. Like like what that means, and don't miss the implications. The incarnation of Jesus God becoming man it becomes fundamentally essential to the Christian doctrine of salvation. For since the first time, since the creation of Adam, when Jesus came, born to Mary and Joseph, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, for the first time since creation, since Adam was, was formed when God breathed, life into dust on that first Christmas 
for the first time, a sinless man was born to earth. And his name was Jesus. The hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man. You see, as God, Jesus was without sin. But as man, Jesus was perfectly positioned to represent humanity. The incarnation, God incarnate, Jesus being both God and man, it produced, yielded the perfect conditions for a permanent sacrifice that could atone for the sins of the world. That first Christmas, it was now possible for a perfect man's sacrificial death to once and for all provide permanent atonement. Jesus and Jesus alone could satisfy the debt of man's sin. Now, above and beyond, every other meaning one can draw from the Christmas season. The birth of Jesus is significant to you and to I for one big reason. (laughs) And laying aside the glory of heaven, by willingly, of his own volition, coming to this rotten planet as a babe, vulnerable, wrapped in swaddling clothes, As God coming to earth, Jesus, why did he come? Well, we're told very clearly his mission was to save his people from their sins. When you look at the nativity this Christmas, when you read the story, realize that Jesus was beginning a mission to save you. And we'll come back to that thought, hear more on the Outlaw Radio Show. One of the things we want to accomplish with Outlaw Radio is to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then seek answers on their own. The sad truth is that there are many Christians walking around representing Jesus with literally no clue why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to our show tackling the tough topics you might not hear on Sunday at church, we want to equip you, inspire you, and challenge you to study God's Word and wrestle with these challenging topics on your own. To aid you in this process, we want to share a resource we find incredibly valuable. Check out blueletterbible.org. In addition to a treasure trove of free commentaries, blueletterbible.org has an incredible word search function as well as the ability to dive into the original language behind a text. Basically, blueletterbible.org simplifies the process where you can study the Bible on your own. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. Before we kind of summarize what we've been talking about, I just I want to take a minute. And just let you know, A, Merry Christmas to you and yours. I pray that you enjoy this season, that you spend time with friends and family. I know for a lot of you, uh, this is a difficult time of the year because of losses you've experienced. For some, this is the first holiday uh, alone. That's your husband or your wife or your child. And I just want you to know I'm praying for you. But you need to understand that that even though you might be in a measure of pain, Jesus, Jesus came for you. Nazareth, 
And he opened the scroll. He came to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive. If you're struggling this Christmas season, please don't isolate yourself, insulate yourself. Don't be alone. Find a church. This is this time of the year. Find a place that you can go and be around people and be ministered to. If you don't have a church family, but you'd like to be pointed in the right direction, I want you to reach out to us. From me to you, as, as a personal commitment, if you are looking for a church, reach out to us here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Send us an email, info at outlawradio.org. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. We're on Twitter. Our handle is radio underscore outlaw. You can even give us a call, 678-883-3316. Reach out to us. And if, if you're looking for a church, let us know where you live. You don't have to give us a specific address, but let us know where you are. And we have a network of churches that we're associated with, a, a network of radio stations. And this Christmas season, if you're alone and you want to place uh, some family, reach out to us and we're going to point you the right direction. So lots of ways to contact us. Ultimately, our, our, our website is outlawradio.org. Reach out. The Christmas season. Lots of reasons for the season. Lots of things to celebrate, but none is more important than the mission Jesus initiated when he came to earth as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Jesus came to save his people from their sins because as God, he was sinless. And as a man, he could represent humanity. He could be that permanent atonement, that sacrifice. To summarize all the things that we've been talking about. Christmas is filled with impossible claims. From the legends of Santa Claus living in the North Pole to his ability to, to know who all has been naughty and nice to then the pure like practicalities of, of delivering gifts to 7 billion people across the world. We tell our kids to believe these things. We believe mistletoe has a, a magical power. We believe reindeers with translucent noses. Like there's a lot of impossible claims made during this particular time of the year that we just blindly believe for fun. I think what's tragic is that so many Christians just blindly believe in the virgin birth for the same reasons. And yet understand there's evidence to substantiate what the Bible says took place. That the Bible presents historically, yes, something impossible, something radical, something that was revolutionary, something that hasn't been repeated. But the Bible make it, makes it clear that Mary, who was a virgin, conceived a son supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And that her son was 100% God and 100% man. The virgin birth. Understand, without it, Christianity isn't just a bad story. It's a terrible lie. 
because it means that Jesus is, is just a man, maybe a great man, a good man. You can't deny his impact on the world, but he would be just a man, unable to atone for his own sin, to satisfy the payment demanded for his own sin, making what he did on the cross of no effect for me. If Jesus, if, if, if the Christmas story is false, we have major problems. And yet the Bible claims the impossible as factual. By analyzing the biblical claim of the virgin birth, it is an undeniable reality that the Bible affirms the incarnation with the New Testament doctrine just further supporting it. Also note that the history validates the improbable as actual. The Bible claims the impossible is factual and history validates the improbable as actual. By building the case for the historical validity of the virgin birth, we see that the church, we haven't blindly accepted the incarnation as historical fact. There is enough fact and reason to make our belief reasonable. The, rea- re- the reliability of ancient manuscripts, it's overwhelming. There was no time for mythology to develop. Historically, the virgin birth of Jesus is as a verifiable history as almost anything else in all of antiquity. But finally, doctrine establishes the incredible as reality. The Bible claims the impossible is factual. History validates the improbable as actual. And doctrine establishes the incredible as reality. The significance of the virgin birth. We end up reaching the glorious conclusion that Jesus, I I get to conclude that he came to save me from my sins, but you get to conclude that he came to save you from yours. See, Here's the truth. You see these paintings. I think they're so cheesy. I'm, I'm by and large, and you'll learn this if you listen to this show much. I'm not a, a <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of a lot of Christian art, whether it be um, music or movies or TV. A lot of times it's just it's just cheesy. I'm not a big fan of Thomas Kincaid. Like, it just is what it is. I'm weird like that. But you see these these pictures this time of the year, and people will make them their avatars on Twitter, and they'll they'll pass them out. But you know, it's it's you know a picturesque you know skyline. It's nighttime. You have the stable there on the hillside. A little glow of some fire emanating from inside. In the sky, you've got a star. You have the silhouettes of shepherds and wise men. And then in the background, whether it be some clouds or just some terrible Photoshop artwork, there's a cross, right? You've seen those in the manger with the cross kind of in the background. It's cheesy, I know. But here's the truth. Without the manger, there would never have been a cross. Without Bethlehem, 
we would have never had Calvary. Without the incarnation, we would have never had salvation. Jesus left glory, heavenly glory. For what reason? In Hebrews, we're told that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And, but then it says that for the joy set before him, enduring the cross, despising the shame. For the joy set before him, Jesus died on the cross. What was the joy set before him? It was the same joy set before him when he laid aside glory and came as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. The joy was you and I and the knowledge that through his sacrifice, you and I might be saved. This Christmas, don't allow the hustle and the bustle to rob you of the opportunity to consider such things and the importance of them. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm Zach Adams. So glad that you spent your time with us. If you like what you heard, two things I want you to do. First, please contact your local station and let them know that you're thankful that they're carrying the Outlaw Radio Show in your community. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to go to outlawradio.org. From the site, you can easily access our Twitter feed, which is available on iTunes and Google Play. You can listen to this episode again or all the previous episodes. Contact me, Twitter, Facebook. Our website is outlawradio.org. Once again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for more of the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.